it's you know exciting for a journalist as well when your work's read and shared and engaged with and commented on and you know I personally like to engage with people you know about my work. I suppose I've always felt like that was a necessary component of my job both as an employed journalist but also as a freelancer so you know especially when you publish something I, I think the implicit expectation is that you'll share it on social media and that the more it's engaged with or shared or commented on the better. Well I write for Guardian Australia and it's an online publication and so in order to maximise my reach and build audiences and communities around my work I am on the internet, I live on the internet and I use Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and LinkedIn and sometimes even YouTube in order to promote my work, promote my brand and develop audiences. So I think social media can be really positive and it has had lots of great impacts on the world and shown that people can band together and stuff but it's it can also be really really bad people need to be aware of how it might be affecting them and know when to step away which is something that i had to learn especially if i was like having a fight on the internet or something sometimes you just need to close your laptop and go outside Hello and welcome to Women on the Line, a national women's current affairs program providing a gender analysis of contemporary issues from Australia and internationally. I'm Giselle Hanna. Jen Vick and the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance this week launched a new report, Don't Read the Comments, Enhancing Online Safety for Women Working in the Media. The report outlines the discrimination and abuse faced by women journalists and what needs to be done to resolve it. Joining me on the show today, Jacinta Masters and Esther Simo from Gender Equity Victoria. And later in the program, Karen Percy, an ABC journalist and co-vice president of the Federal Media Section of the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance. We start the show with Jacinta and Esther from Gender Equity Victoria. Esther explains the launching of the report, Don't Read the Comments. The project that we're working on at the moment is in partnership with the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance and we've just released a report called Don't Read the Comments, Enhancing Online Safety for Women Working in the Media. So essentially it's in response to a really serious problem that we've identified which is that there just isn't really any safety provisions for women who are working in the online space. One of the things that both your report and the MEAA's um, research has shown is that there, there is a real risk to the safety of women journalists both in a online sense in terms of trolling and what we're seeing is a lot of journalists in particular women who might um, champion gender equity um, receiving a lot of backlash from that and also women's voices in general receiving backlash for strides made in gender equity um, the abuse that they're receiving is quite extreme. Um, we have a video that has just been released um, with the MEAA and Genvic. Um, and we've got Van Battam talking about some of the abuse that she received and it's really horrific. So we're talking about a, a lot of rape threats, death threats, once a person followed her home. Um, at, at it's not just in the online setting that this abuse is contained to. It follows out in public spaces. So, you know, there's a lot of women who report feeling really unsafe um, in public spaces and events that they have to go to if they've been trolled online quite a lot. 
Um, and it's really the impact on women's mental health has been quite a significant impact on their anxiety levels, um, their sleep, um, and all of that impacts on whether they're going to go online again and put themselves out there, making themselves more vulnerable to abuse, um, which ultimately results in a lot of women self-censoring um, or withdrawing completely from an online platform. And then we just miss out on hearing these amazing women's voices that are really critical to informing um, public conversation. It's, so you mentioned Van Batten and um, another very prominent women woman uh, journalist comes to mind as well who takes up a lot of space in this um, online social media Twitter sphere type of mm. place, and of course the person I'm thinking of is Clementine Ford, and no doubt there are there are lots of other women who are um, outwardly feminist and strong, and actually. Com- their, their commentary is left-wing and political. Mm. Um, and my question is, is that who is targeted by this online trolling? For example, is someone like um, uh, Rita P- Panahi, does she receive the same kind of sexist trolling and sexist abuse and threats of sexual harassment as much as the left-wing commentators do and does your report and does your project cover the entire breadth of women journalists even if they are saying apparently right-wing things does it cover the breadth of women journalists Mm -hmm. who are in that space? So I think the with our report, it recognises that all women can be subject to online abuse and those that are most vulnerable um, are the ones that might bend the the confines of femininity, as in they have a public voice and that can happen from right and left sides, um, that women have an opinion. <laughs> um, but we are finding it a lot when um, it's intersectional. So I mentioned Van Battam on that video. We also have Giselle Nguyen and Kate O'Halloran. Um, Giselle Nguyen is a woman of colour. The abuse that she receives is not just gender-based violence. It's a lot of there's a lot of hate speech. Um, the abuse that Kate O'Halloran receives, it's not just about gender misogyny. It's also because she's a gay woman. So it's very intersectional, but we find it can be more extreme for people of intersectional identity. You touched on it a little bit, but I'm curious about what the overall political analysis is for why women are targeted in this way. I think ultimately, and this is something that's come up in like anecdotally, but it's also come up in terms of research, is a really big element of it is to silence women ultimately. And that can be seen as political, but ultimately what we know from international research, because there hasn't really been that much Australian research that's been done in it specifically, but um, people from the left and people from the right can be trolls, people from the left and people from the right can be targeted. So ultimately we see it on both sides. So that is the online sphere of the issue of safety um, for journalists and the trolling, which I think a lot of people listening to this will have grasped or, or would have um, have conceptualised anyway. The other part of the MEAA's report 
um, also looks at the vulnerability now with the decentralisation of media um, and with the freelancing has become more prolific in the media space. A lot of freelancers without the protection of an institution uh, and without the infrastructure of supporting um, staff and journalists are are finding themselves in quite vulnerable and dangerous situations, particularly in the what we historically call the foreign correspondent sphere. So people that are in um, war zones or battle zones or uprisings, so Hong Kong, classic example, um, uh, so people that are vulnerable to violence and kidnap and, and so on, what what... Do you say about that? And is that an issue that affects women um, disproportionately to men in the industry? We do know that there are a lot more female freelancers than there are male freelancers, and that's for a variety of reasons. Uh, The optimist might say it's because women want a little bit more freedom. The pessimist might say that they're the first to lose their jobs. We can't necessarily say that for a fact, but it is... uh, one of the key recommendations in the report that we've just released that um, freelancers should have more support and that includes counselling services, uh, that includes actually having a relationship with the people who are publishing their work because a lot of the time, as I'm sure you're aware, it's just an email address to an email address. They don't actually have any kind of relationship and if someone's being expected to work online, and it is work, even if you're not going to an office, it's a job, if you're being expected to work, you should be protected for that work. And if you're subject to boatloads of abuse, you need to be protected. And that's what one of the key recommendations in the report is. I, 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 you know, I've read the report and I um, have seen the recommendations and I, I think that is a really important recommendation. But it did leave me with a question of when you decentralise and you effectively um, you, you break apart what used to be a, a consolidated corporate media mm. with, with different companies, but um, that traditional relationship between the boss and the worker, when that no longer exists, how does a recommendation called whoever's publishing has a responsibility to that person? How does that get realised when what is happening to the entirety of the workforce, the fragmentation, the casualization, the um, trying to shift of the responsibility between the person who makes the profit and the person who does the work that generates that profit? So, so did you delve into what it might look like for publishers to have that responsibility uh, when effectively they're working on a piecemeal um payment for service i think the the way that you've put it is exactly right and it's it's part of the whole idea of the gig economy and everything changing in that regard i think that ultimately it's going to continue to happen there's going to be less people in offices and more people freelancing in lots of different industries but specifically the media industry and i think that the next step of the work that we want to do is how we actually enforce this. But ultimately, it's going to have to be a change of perspective. And that perspective has to be that these are still workers just because they're not in your office doesn't mean that you don't need to protect them. And ultimately, I mean, I hope this never happens, but ultimately it's going to be an issue of safety. So they might need to spend a little bit more money now 
and by they I mean media organisations, but it's going to cost us all a lot less in the future. You've made six recommendations in relation to correcting the imbalance in the industry. What are they? The first recommendation is a whole-of-organisation approach to address systemic and structural sexism in the workplace. The second recommendation is training on gender, implicit bias and bystander intervention for all staff in a media organisation. The third is treating gender-based abuse against women journalists on social media and websites as an issue of workplace health and safety. The fourth is moderation guidelines and training that explicitly addresses gendered and other identity-based abuse as a subset of abuse that requires a strong response from the organisation. The fifth is requiring audience members to complete a simple comprehension quiz before they are permitted to, to comment. And the final one is requiring media organisations to provide specific support to freelancers even after the story has been published and invoices paid. We have a petition at the moment and that is essentially a petition that you can sign to ask or tell rather um, major media organisations in Australia that you would like them to sign on to these recommendations to protect their female, female journalists. You can find that at the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance's website. And if you sign that, uh, your name will go through to the major media outlets to let them know that you want to see change. That was Esther Simo concluding the discussion with Gender Equity Victoria. In that section, we also spoke with Jacinta Masters. And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. Next, I speak with Karen Percy, who's a journalist with the ABC and is the co-vice president of the federal media section of the MEAA. The MEAA, as the union representing workers in this industry, is a co-partner of this project and had commissioned a survey of workers in journalism to discover the breadth of the online trolling issue. Karen starts here by discussing that survey. Well, this was back in 2016 and we're actually trying to update it, but that was a 1,000 journalists and that found that about 16% uh, of people, uh, mostly women, and there was mostly women who responded, um, found that they didn't realise their workplaces actually had strategies to deal with online harassment. And uh, their the findings were that most of those women had experienced online harassment. So um, the... Gender, Victoria, Gender Equity Victoria and MIA currently at the moment are um, looking at another survey. We've actually got a survey out there at the moment to try and get some better data on that because we really don't have enough of it. We look at the US and some 40% of women journalists say they've been harassed. Um, but there are real degrees of what happens online. And I have to say, even though I've been quite aware of this issue, I've probably... Um, um, underplayed the effect it's had on me and the kinds of uh, things that happened. So what we're discovering is that um, women aren't reporting it enough um, that they need to report it more because they are getting harassed online or they're taking themselves off, offline to uh, try and avoid it. And that, of course, means that women's voices are being yet again erased from history but it also means that, you know, those women in their ability uh, to, to progress in their careers, to ensure that their stories do well, uh, you know, aren't in the space that they need to be in. I, media is such a political space, news, information, what is news, what is not news, etc. And of course, we know that there's no neutral way to present ideas. How much of this online engagement is uh, vicious 
political discussion versus sexism? There's a lot of that, but if, there's, if it's a debate about ideas and it's actually prosecuting ideas and saying, no, you've got your facts wrong, that's a different kind of thing. And that can get very robust, shall we say. But, you know, let's talk about some of the um, stuff that I get. Um, I cover a lot of court cases. I'm the ABC's courts reporter at the moment, and I get very gendered responses to my stories, it, it, whether it's a, a female victim, if it's a female defendant, it's all about, um, I won't use the words, but there's the C-bomb, there's the F-bomb about me, there's the C-bomb and there's the F-bomb about whoever that person is involved. And it's entirely gendered and it's violent. Um, you know, I haven't had rape threats, but I know colleagues who have. I was chatting to some colleagues recently and asking them about their experiences because it isn't something we talk about a lot. So I've gone out and tried to have this conversation and was just horrified to, to hear that one of the younger women that I work with had uh, been getting quite uh, nasty stuff uh, in the reports she was doing. She'd uh, talked about it to her editor, kind of laughed it off and said, oh, well, you shouldn't be on the internet, which is a common police refrain as well. But that's just not possible. But then she went on to discover some months later or some time later that this guy had been arrested and charged with murder. So it's not just what I used to think, What you know, this is the modern-day equivalent of the pulling of the pigtails in the, the playground. This is serious stuff. Not everybody's going to go on to be a murderer or a violent person, but the fact that this is allowed to fester online, that online companies don't do anything about it, Facebook won't shut down comments on stories, um, the Twitterverse is a joke, you have to report, you have to block, you have to do a whole lot of things, go through a whole lot of steps to stop these people, and then they start up another account somewhere. So it's a real problem. We need to, to find out how big a problem it is because women are reluctant to talk about it. I wonder if in addition to just the digitisation of the industry, which is in the way that you've described, really allowed some of these um, people a new platform and ready access to um, victims of their abuse. In addition to that digitisation, I wonder if the fragmenting of the industry, the casualization, the um, the proliferation of um, freelancers, etc., also creates easier access um, to women, women journalists for this kind of abuse. Absolutely. Even though these are public platforms and the materials out there, uh, you know, publicly, women are, re are mostly reading it privately. They might be at their desk and, as you say, there's lots of freelancers. We also have a highly feminised workplace workforce these days. Um, there's a younger workforce these days and, and compared to what it used to be. So that's exactly right. There's a, a fragmentation. But even those of us who work for organisations, a lot of this you're consuming um, because it comes directly to your inbox or it, you know, it's in your, um, your messages or your mentions on Twitter. So, and not everybody will see everything. So it's this really perverse kind of very public pl platform but that's having a very personal, private impact. And that's something we really need to, to be thinking about. And, you know, one thing I'll also say, too, is that I've shown this, my husband's a journalist, I've shown the, the kinds of emails and comments I get to some of my male colleagues who are just shocked. It's just like, are you kidding? You know, uh, my, my, some of my male colleagues see this as a sport to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of these trolls because they're actually having the contest of ideas. I'm having to protect myself from, you know, being called a C, um, you know, you commie C, ABC, um, you know, slut, slag, all manner of stuff that's 
quite personal and, and very gendered. So that uh, also, if you take yourself offline or your self-censor, which I know a lot of women are doing, you're actually um, affecting your own uh, career progression because these days the digital presence is all-encompassing and so important. And it also means that, you know, and we've still got a lot of male bosses across the industry who kind of look at you as if you're, you know, some kind of, you know, toughen-up princess is their attitude at times when they actually don't know the full extent of it. And I think if they were getting some of it themselves, might have a bit of an understanding. So we've got a, a long way to go in terms of making sure that there's awareness within organisations that there's not the kind of gender bias and sexism uh, or do something about it. We know it's there. We have to do something about it to ensure that women are able to, to work safely because this is my workspace. I work in the courts, I work in my office, I work standing outside the courts, I work going, you know, that's my workplace but so too is the online space. So this is now an occupational health and safety issue and organisations have to understand that. Well, as an occupational health and safety issue, as a workplace issue, and, and I mean you've said a number of times we have to do something, what is the thing that we must do? How, how do we, as workers in media, fight back to win safer spaces for women in journalism? Well, firstly, organisations have to have a plan. They actually have to have some policies on how to respond. So they need to understand the problem and accept that there is a problem and then come up with some ways to react and respond. Um, and, for example, when I realised quite recently that I had been targeted by one particular man over a number of emails, I just thought it was a couple of random... I do a lot of my work on my phone, so I'm quickly looking at stuff and going, oh, yeah, there's another guy calling me a C-bomb. Um, so... Uh, and then I went back and realised that it was one man. So we've, you know, I've now reported that to my bosses, and we've now blocked him. I've also gone to the e-safety commissioner because I realised that when I read through my organisation's policies, that what was happening to me was stalking. And it wasn't until I went back and actually had a look at it more closely. And sometimes you just don't want to do that. That I realised what it was. So I've actually reported to the e-safety commissioner. I'm also looking at talking to the police about it. I want to find out who this guy is and make sure that he doesn't do it again. Um, and if he's a real person, and I don't know if he is, I'm going to out him because he has abused me over a number of months on my email and it's just unacceptable. So so coming up with a plan, knowing what it is, so there's awareness of what um, is actually happening online and making young women realise and older women realise that what's happening to them is either stalking or bullying or whatever it might be because I think there's a real reluctance to accept that it's happening to me. If you're not Kate O'Halloran who gets horrendously trolled for you know being a woman in the sports journalism space for being um, in the LGBTQTI community or someone like Van Adam who's Van Batam who's very very political you know we look at those women and go oh well that's not me so I, I couldn't possibly complain and that's part of the problem too is that we kind of go all oh, my problems not as their, their that's their problem so I don't have a problem so it's awareness it's training it's um, uh, teaching people about some of these fantastic bystander techniques there are Ginger Gorman who's the woman who wrote the fantastic book about trolls who's just the guru on how to respond um, does this whole thing about amplifying women when she sees somebody being bullied and trolled online for perfectly legitimate uh, things that they're saying that wouldn't happen to a man she gets all of us out there and says okay Okay, you need to amplify her voice. You need to report, block, and uh, do something about the person who's doing the harassment, but then amplify her voice. So say, look at this great stuff that Kate O'Halloran's been doing. Look at this great stuff that this other person has been doing and amplify the voice. And that's been a really effective technique and it makes that person feel 
uh, like they've got a community, that they've got some support, and it also makes us feel like we're uh, good because we're doing something about it. So there's a lot that could be done. But another area that can be addressed, for example, is actually starting to vet somewhat some of these people who are coming on board, ensuring that they're legitimate um, uh, email addresses. You know, maybe they have to sort of agree to, yes, these are the standards, and they have to tick a box and tick a box and tick a box that says, yes, I understand this, yes, I understand that it's got to be respectful, I can't do hate. Because, you know, some of this is hate speech. Some of this is is, is bullying, it's stalking, it's, you know, pretty distressing behaviour. Um, so there's a, a number of things, and the Gender Equity Victoria report and the MIA report has a lot of that. And I do encourage your listeners to go out and, and find that and have a look and uh, if they're in the journalism space, is to fill out the survey because we need to know, and the more we know, the more we can do about it. And, of course, I guess you, you, we want everyone to join their union. Absolutely, you do. We do. Um, and the Media Entertainment Arts Alliance does a lot of great work, campaign work, not just workplace safety workplace, um, you know, bargaining for your, your workplace agreement and, and understanding the rules and regulations of you as an employer. But there are great campaigns. You have seen the Press Freedom uh, campaign recently, which is a really important one. Mia's also done terrific work in uh, the, you know, protection of whistleblowers, protection of journalists more generally, and the kind of um, sort of legislation, prohibitive legislation that's been put in, you know, in the name of national safety, but seems to be really more about political insecurity more than anything else. So Mia does a whole lot of really great stuff on uh, the policy campaign front, but also the nuts and bolts of you as a worker. So, uh, and we do have programs for freelancers, and that's a real focus for us as well. Well, because we understand the way that this, uh, the, the economy, uh, the workplace is changing. Karen Percy, co-vice president of the federal media section of the MEAA, concluding this report. And that's all we have time for on today's program of Women on the Line. Women on the Line is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR. The show is funded by the Community Radio Foundation and is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can email us at womenontheline at gmail.com. You can also download our podcast from 3CR's website. That's 3cr.org.au. Follow the links to the Women on the Line page where you'll find all of our previous programs. Thanks for tuning in to the show. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week.